What are we laughing at? <laughs> oh, the doodles are back. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege to be in your presence again. Thank you that we can always be in your presence. Lord, uh, thank you for the chance to be with our brothers and sisters. And I just pray today that you would, through your Holy Spirit, that you are working our hearts, help us to understand what your word says, help us to believe it, help us to obey it, help us to trust it, and help us to be able to teach it to others as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, the doodles are back. Um, I, I wanna start off today, like Matt said, we're gonna be looking at Revelation 21 and 22, mainly Re Revelation 21. So you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Um, but we're not gonna get in too much to the, the prophecy or the controversial stuff in Revelation. I wanna start off by telling you, I wanna tell you two things about me. I wanna tell you two things about me that you may or may not know. The first thing First thing about me that you may or may not know is that I really don't like airplanes. I really don't like flying on airplanes. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody else dislike flying? I see some hands. Um, yep. And when I, when I say I don't like flying on airplanes, I don't mean like, uh, it's kind of a hassle. I mean like I kind of, I really dislike it. I really hate it. Sometimes I dread it. At different points, I've kind of been afraid of flying, like not so much where I, I can't force myself to get on an airplane, but where I really, really dislike it. Um, and so when I'm on a plane and there's a lot of turbulence, like I kind of get white knuckled, sweaty palms, stuff like that. Can anybody else relate to that? Um, I'm also really tall. <laughs> Um, which means that the seats, in case you hadn't noticed, I'm also really tall, and so the seats are not made for people that are my size, which means if I had, I've thought about this before, if I had one superpower, if it, you ever thought about this, if you could just use one superpower, my superpower might be to be one of those people that can just go to sleep on a plane as soon as you, like as soon as you sit down, you're just like, and you're asleep. I know that seems like a, a thing to waste a superpower on if you could be, do anything. I guess you could just fly yourself. But, but again, so it's, it's miserable for me on planes because I can't sleep, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Um, you know, the, there's not enough leg room, kind of the, the head support thing that's supposed to be, it hits me like in the middle of my back and so I'm kind of doing this number like that. So I really don't like flying. That's the first thing about me. A second thing about me that you may or may not know is that I lived in China for 13 years. I lived in China for 13 years. My family and I, we were missionaries in China for 13 years. You see any tension between those two things? <laughs> a little bit of tension. So we would have to fly a lot. And I don't mean just kind of like, you know, here to Atlanta or like even New York to LA. I mean, we would get up at just like the absolute crack of dawn and just before the sun comes up and we would drive to the airport, we get on a three hour flight from the city we lived in to, to Beijing. And then we would get on, we'd have like a two hour layover and then get on like a 14 hour flight, a 14 hour flight. And it's, I know it sounds bad, it's worse than it sounds. <laughs> It's a 14 hour flight and you're on a 14 hour flight and that's 14 hours where you can't sleep and where the, there could be turbulence and there's the food that's not great. And, and then you, you land and then you have like another hour and a half and then you get on a five hour flight 
after that to come to the East Coast. And this is the, the worst part about it, and it's just like the universe is playing a joke on you, is that because of the time difference, depending on which way you're going, when you arrive, you've been traveling for like 36 hours, and when you arrive, it's the exact same time <laughs> as when you left. And it's just like, oh my goodness, what's been going on? So I really don't like flying, but, but I have to, have to fly a lot, or I had to fly a lot. Um, and you know, having kids didn't make it easier. And I remember having three little kids, I have three kids, three daughters, seven, four, and, and, and two. And I remember these times where, this one time in particular, I think the only time we took that 14-hour flight with all three kids, it's like we, we get, get on the flight, and immediately, as soon as we get on the flight, Rose just absolutely poops out her diaper, just blows out the diaper. We've been on the plane for like half an hour. We're taking off, and Rose just, just poops out her diaper. And so Rose poops out her diaper, the plane's still going up, and Lindsay's got Rose in the bathroom trying to clean her up, and then, and then Ruby, our middle daughter, she's really uncomfortable, she's just screaming, crying at the top of her lungs. And then my other daughter, Valerie, you know, she was doing okay, but then when Ruby started crying, then she starts, ah, oh, there's loud noise, I don't like loud noises, and so she starts crying. And so Lindsay's, you know, has this like handful of poop in the bathroom, <laughs> And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting in this like tiny little seat like this with the headrest, and, and I've got one girl here screaming and one girl here screaming, and everybody's looking at us. And then you look at, you know that little map that they have? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That little map, and it's like the, you don't even see the, 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 the departure dot, because <laughs> you're, just, you're just right, and it's like, oh, well, we, we, have, we have another 13 and a half hours of this. And the reason I say this is because you might think that on that flight, there's definitely times that we're, we're miserable, it's turbulence or poop or, or whatever it is. Um, you might think, well, you must have just been absolutely miserable for 14 straight hours. But here's the thing. The thing is, I, I wasn't. I wasn't, I mean, I, I was definitely, I wasn't happy. You know, like I, I wasn't comfortable. Like I, I was very eager to get off that plane, but I wasn't miserable. In fact, there was kind of this undercurrent of joy in my heart, even when there's screaming kids, even when there's poopy diapers, even when there's kind of turbulence, even when there's bad airplane food. You know why? For two reasons. Number one, I know it's not gonna last forever. And number two, I know that this is part of the process of going home. And I know when I get home, I'm gonna get off that plane, I'm gonna get to hug my parents, I'm gonna get to eat Chick-fil-A, and then in a couple days, this is just all gonna be a distant memory, and it's not, it's gonna, it's gonna be completely worth it. And what we're talking about today, the reason I say all this is because the passage we're talking about today, we're looking at Revelation 21, and go ahead and turn there if you're not there already, Revelation chapter 21. And what we're gonna look at is a passage that reminds us of where we're going. And just like me on that airplane, we're all gonna have, to various degrees at various different times, we're all gonna have situations where circumstances are pretty miserable. And what Revelation 21 and 22, the very the end of the Bible is telling us is that it's not easy, it's gonna be, it's gonna be miserable sometimes but you can have an undercurrent of hope and joy 
because it's not gonna last forever. And this is all part of the process of going home. Okay, let me read from Revelation 21. This is Revelation 21. I'm gonna read one through, through eight. This is John, the apostle, describing what our new home is gonna look like when Jesus comes back. He says this, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, I will give this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be come on, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay, this is God's word. So this is describing, the Apostle John is describing what home is going to be like. What, what's going to happen, what Jesus is going to bring when he returns. And he says it's a city. And we start in a garden and we end in a city. And he says it's, the, it's, not, it's Jerusalem, but it's not, just, it's not just regular Jerusalem. It's the new Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem 2.0. Kind of just like the you know, people came from, from England and they set up New York or they set up new, what, it was a new place. It's like it would remind us a little bit of what it was like before, but it's new and it's going to be better. No offense to people from England. Um, but it, yeah, it's going to be this new city. Uh, it's going to be this new city. It's going to be this new city. And so two things I want you to notice about this new city, the new Jerusalem, that we can see from the description and the rest of 21. I'm not going to read it. It gets kind of detailed, similar to thinking about the, the tabernacle. I'm not going to read all the different details. But two things I want you to notice. Number one, it says, and you can go ahead and put the next, uh, the next slide up there. There you go. Number one, it says that the city, the New Jerusalem, that the, the width, the length, and the height are all equal, okay? The width, the length, and the height, they're all, it says 12,000 stadia, which is about 1,400 miles, or about the distance between Cary, North Carolina, and Denver, Colorado. Okay, so it's big, all right, it's big. There's plenty of space for, for everybody. It's really big, and it's a cube. It's a perfect cube. The width, the height, and the length are all equal. Well, what is this supposed to be telling us? Can you think of anything else that we've talked about that was a perfect cube? 
the tabernacle, right? The most holy place was a perfect cube. The, the holy place was, was rectangular. But if you keep walking into the holy place where God's presence and where his glory would come to meet with his people, it was a perfect cube. It was about 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet long. And so what John is telling us is that the new Jerusalem, it's like the tabernacle 2.0. It's the new most holy place. Have you ever been to a place where you're just like, man, for whatever reason, when I'm in that place, when I'm with those people, when I'm around that friend, when I'm hearing this particular music, in this certain situation, it's like, man, I really just experience a connection with God there. What this is saying is that's the way it's going to be like everywhere. It says in um, it says in, in Habakkuk 2.14, it says that one day the knowledge of the glory of God is going to fill the earth just like the waters cover the sea. And he's saying that's what it's going to be like, that everywhere is full of the joy, full of the presence, full of the peace that God and his presence bring. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, so the first thing is it's the tabernacle 2.0. The second thing, you can go to the next, the next picture. The second thing is John is telling us that it's going to be Eden 2.0. Okay, it's going to be Eden 2.0. Remember, we've been tracing this theme, been tracing this theme starting in the garden where God's with his people, and that's what we were made for. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy and pleasures forever. And he said in the Garden of Eden, we had that, but then we lost it because of our sin. The tabernacle was kind of like, ah, oh, you get a little glimpse of it, right, but, but still, not, still not as good as the garden. Well, John is telling us that the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, is going to be, it's going to be the Garden of Eden 2.0. It's going to be the city of Eden. Well, how's it saying that? Look at me, look with me at verse, at uh, chapter 22. I'm going to read chapter 22, 1 through 5. This is describing, this is describing things that are, that are in the city. This is what the, uh, this is what some of the, some of the things inside the city look like. This is Revelation 22, 1 through 5. It says, and then the angel showed me, this is John writing, it says, then the angel showed me a river of the water of life. Do you remember what there was in the middle of the Garden of Eden? There's the tree of life, right? The tree of life is the source of life and vitality and health and abundance and healing, right? Well, now you have the river of life, the river of the water of life. So the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They, they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and he will reign forever and ever, and they will reign forever and ever, it says. Okay, well, remember in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sin, God, he drives them out of the garden, and he puts, he puts a, a just angelic warrior, this cherubim with a flaming sword, to keep them from getting back to the tree of life so they wouldn't live forever. Remember that? Well, now, back in, the new, in the new Jerusalem, in 
the garden, in Eden 2.0, in the city of Eden, now you have the river of life, the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of Jesus, of King Jesus. And look at what it says. It says that on either side, there's the tree of life. So now it seems like, it's not 100% clear, but it seems like what it's saying is that now this place is so full of life and abundance and vitality and joy that there's just trees of life sprouting up all over the place, right? So it's the Tabernacle 2.0, which reminds us it's full of God's presence. Everywhere you go is the most joyful place, the most perfect place, the most, the most peaceful place. And second of all, it's full of abundance. It's full of life and vitality and all of the good things that life has to offer, okay? Well, look also, look with me back in chapter 21. What does it say this city is going to be like? What's it going to be like to, to be a, a citizen of this city? What's it going to look like to live here? What's, it gonna, what's the experience of somebody living here going to be like? In verse 4, look with me in Revelation 21, verse 4. This is what it says. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He says two things here. He says, first of all, God is going to take care of all of the pain that we've experienced in our life. It says he's going to wipe every tear away from their eyes. That's hard to believe, isn't it? He's going to wipe every tear away from every eye that any pain, any suffering, any disappointment, any hard thing we've been through, that God's going to wipe it away. He's going to restore it. He's going to heal us. And second of all, it says he's going, that, that now this is a place, there's no pain, there's no death, there's no suffering, there's no mourning. So not only is he going to take care of all the pain we've experienced in the past, all of the dangerous and scary and painful things that cause all this suffering, we don't have to worry about anymore. He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye, and then he's going to, take, he's going to make sure we're in this place of, with no danger of complete peace and complete security forever. Okay, as I think about this, um, what does it mean he's going to wipe away every tear from every eye? I think it's going to be not so much like the Men in Black. Have you seen the movie The Men in Black? where they see the alien, and then the, the guys come up and do a, and then just wipes their memory, and they don't remember the, the aliens. I don't, it's not going to be like that, like, oh, what happened to me again? I, I mean, I don't remember ever get. It's not going to be like that. I think it's going to be more like the Karate Kid. Have you guys seen the movie The Karate Kid? The Karate Kid, there's this scene where this guy's trying to learn karate, and he has this teacher who's this, this older Japanese man. He's teaching him karate, and he's like, okay, I want to learn karate. And the, uh, the teacher, he says, okay, come meet me at my house at such and such a time. And this, the guy's all, you know, he's all excited. He's going he's gonna to learn karate, learn how to fight and all this stuff. And the guy says, I want you to clean my car. And he makes him do wax on and then wax off and then wax on and then wax off, right? And he gets it done. He's like, okay, are we going to start now? And he says, nope, now I want you to paint my fence. And he says, paint the fence like this, paint the fence like this paint the fence like this, and over, over, over again. Remember this? And then it goes on for, for days. And at the end of this time, he's just like, this guy is playing a joke on me. 
this guy is just taking advantage of me. He's got to be just eating chips and, and laughing at me, thinking this idiot thinks he's going to, this idiot thought I was going to teach him karate, but I can just do whatever I want with him. But then at the end, he, he's expressing his frustrations, and his teacher says, okay, show me wax on, wax on. And he sees, this is like the perfect, this, I don't know karate, so I don't know if it's true or not, but this is like the perfect, this is like the perfect defense. And he realizes everything, all these motions he's been learning have been part of the system that this guy wants to teach him. And so now that he's done all this repetition and this training, he, he can defend himself. He can block, he can kick, he can punch. And he realizes all of this difficulty that he went through that he thought was just a joke. Like, there's no way, this guy's just making fun of me. He realizes now that it was worth it, that it was good. Because it helps him get to a place and be the type of person that he wants to be and be able to do the things that he wants to be. So I think when it says he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, it'll be less like Men in Black and more like, like the Karate Kid. Okay, now if you're like me, you hear this and you kind of think, I mean, maybe about some things, Right? Maybe about some things, but maybe in your mind, as, I, as I'm saying this, God's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. Maybe something comes to your mind, something really terrible that's happened to you before. Something really terrible. Or maybe it's not something that's happened to you. Maybe it's happened to your kids. Maybe it's happened to people that you love. Or maybe it's not even something that's happened to you before. Maybe it's something that you're worried might happen to you one day or might happen to somebody that you love one day or to one of your children or one of your one of your friends and maybe you're you're thinking I mean that sounds great in a movie or in a kid's book but that's just pretty naive because there's no way there is no way that if something that terrible you don't know what's happened to me there is no way that God could wipe that tear. He would have to wipe my memory. There is no way that that experience could ever be, could ever be redeemed. Well, as I think about this, I think about my daughter, Valerie. And um, when Valerie was, when she was born, when she was a newborn, she had, so there's some issues with her liver and everything's fine now, but there's some issues with her liver. And uh, and she had, had jaundice. And anyway, long story short, we had to give her a lot of shots and draw a lot of blood. And my first daughter, you know, new father, holding my precious little girl in my arms. And then you have to, have to watch as, you know, these needles get stuck in her and, and she gets these shots. And, and she just, you know, is screaming at the top of her lungs, just like she's, she's in such pain. Never experienced pain like this before. And I remember at that time thinking, there's no doubt in my mind this is the right thing to do. I'm 100% sure that it would be negligence for me to say, nope, don't worry about her liver. It, let's not do that. Let's not do that shot. Let's not draw that blood. I'm, let's not do it. It was because of my love that I was putting her through that. At the same time, there was absolutely no way 
that I could explain to her, one month old girl, there's no way I could explain to her, hey honey, this is what, I just had to sit there and hold her. There's nothing I could say that would help her understand that this was actually for her good. Well, why is that? It wasn't because I didn't have a reason. It's because my ways were higher than her ways. And my thoughts were higher than her thoughts. I couldn't, I would, lo- would have loved to say, hey, honey, let me tell you about liver enzymes. Let me tell you about well, the tests they're going to do in the split. But I, I couldn't. It, those thoughts were higher than her thoughts. Those ways were higher than her ways. And so let me ask you this question today. Whatever that thing is that you think of that's happened to you or that, oh my gosh, what if this happened one day? There's no way God could wipe that tear away. I would be inconsolable if that happened. Is it possible? Is it possible? I'm not saying could you figure out how it would happen, but is it possible that just like today, I can explain it to Valerie as a seven-year-old, and she knows that that happened. She doesn't even remember it, right? But at the time, it was, it was excruciatingly painful for her. Is it possible that those terrible experiences you're thinking about, that one day, because God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that it really could get to a point where he could say, where you would see, you know, there was no way I could understand it when that happened, but now I see that God had used that for good. Because God says that as high, just like the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Okay, well, what about you? What about you? I want to ask you two questions as we, as we get ready to close. Two questions. Number one, what are you going through? What are you going through? You know, we all, to various different degrees at different times, we're all struggling with different stuff. There's disappointment. There's pain. And if we're not going through something like that right now, we probably know somebody who is or there's an experience we've had like that recently in the past, or maybe in the, in the near future, we're gonna start experiencing something like that. What are you going through? You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a health-related thing. And maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that's estranged. Maybe it's a relationship that you've lost because somebody's, somebody's died. Maybe it's a career type of thing or a financial thing where you just, you thought that this was going to happen and it hasn't happened. And it just feels devastating. All right, what, is, what are you going through? So two questions. Number one, what are you going through? Think about that thing in your mind. And number two, what are you looking to? What are you going through and what are you looking to? What are you looking to to give you hope and to give you joy? You know, I know that we have a lot of people in our church that are dealing with health issues. There's people in our church family who are processing different cancer diagnoses, who are going through treatment, are starting treatment, are going to be starting treatment, or trying to figure out if you need treatment, are going to have have had surgery or or, are going to be having surgery. And, you know, we're we're all going to have some difficulties 
chances are, odds are, we're all going to have some difficult conversations with doctors at some point in our lives, right? I know there's people in our church, in our church family, you know, maybe it's that you deal with chronic pain. Maybe it's just like, maybe it's a pinched nerve. Maybe it's a, whatever it is, but your body just hurts. And it hurts all the time, or it hurts a lot. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's panic attacks. I know there's a lot of people in our church that are, that are dealing with, with different health struggles. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's wanting to get pregnant and not being able to, able to get pregnant and have the baby. Whatever it is, what are you going through and what are you looking to? Because what we tend to do in these moments, we tend to look to things like doctors, our odds, statistics, you know, if I'm in this category because I have these symptoms and I've been through this, and so that means that there's a whatever percentage chance that there's going to be this outcome. We tend to look to doctors, to treatment options, to medication, to those statistics. I, I want to read for you a quote. This is by John Piper. This is a book that he wrote called, um, it's called Don't Waste Your Cancer. I know it's kind of a strange title for a book, but it's called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And he's famous for, uh, famous, but he wrote a very popular book called Don't Waste Your Life. And so in this book, he, it's called Don't Waste Your Cancer. It's a very short book that he wrote the night, he wrote the night before he was going to have surgery for prostate cancer. So he's, he's writing this, and the next day, he's going to have surgery for prostate cancer. Okay. And he, he calls the book, Don't Waste Your Cancer, because his whole point is that everything in our life is an opportunity for us to get closer to God, okay, to, for us to experience more of the presence of God. This is what he says. He says, we waste our cancer if we seek comfort from our odds rather than from God. He says, the design of God in our cancer is not to train us in the rationalistic human calculation of odds. The world gets comfort from their odds, not Christians. Some count their chariots, i.e. percentages of survival, and some count their horses, i.e. side effects of treatment. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God, Psalm 20, verse 7. God's design is clear from 2 Corinthians 1.9. We felt we would receive the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The aim of God in our cancer, among a thousand other good things, is to knock props out from under our hearts so that we utterly rely on him. You see, there's a, a better source of hope and a better source of joy. And it's not bad to read medical journals or to Google and all that stuff, that medication, this is all, these are all good things from God that we should be thankful for. But there is a better source of hope and joy and peace than those things. And it's understanding that, number one, this isn't gonna last forever. And number two, this is part of the process of returning to your eternal home. Okay, turn with me. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 
This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. What does that mean? Well, it means life isn't easy. This plane ride really sucks. This food is really bad. You know, I really don't feel good. This is not a bed of roses. Stuff goes down sometimes, right? Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. What does it say to do? It says, set your hope. What's that word? Fully. Set your hope, not 50%, not 75%, not in all situations except for this one terrible thing that I know, God, please don't ever let that happen. If that happened, then God could never comfort me. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does this look like? Well, Jesus is the doctor that says to us, I can fix it. I can fix it. And not only that, I already have. And I know you don't experience that yet, but one day you will. Jesus is the doctor. Isn't it so frustrating when you're having those conversations? And I've had conversations like that before where when doctors, and, and I know that, I know why they do it. It's not their fault. Where there's so much hedging when it comes to like, well, what should we do? Well, if you did this, then maybe this. And there's a disperse chance of this. And it's like, I just want somebody to tell me it's going to be okay. And Jesus says, it's going to be okay. He says, of the people who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? 100% of the people who believe in Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. 100%, 10 out of 10, a billion out of a billion, everybody who has ever and whoever will have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will have every tear wiped away from their eye. Even if you have no idea how that could possibly happen today. What does this look like? I think it looks like when something's wrong with you, when when your body is betraying you, whether it's cancer, whether it's infertility, whether it's panic attacks, whatever it is. I mean, it's fine to Google I'm thankful we have all this information, right? But sometimes it looks like, you know, I'm going to stop Googling. I'm going to remember that Jesus died at 33 years old with his whole life in front of him. His whole, he never bought a house. He never got married. He never had kids. He never achieved some status in his career. He was brutally murdered at age 33, with his whole life in front of him so that one day you can live forever with a new body that never gets sick and that never hurts in a place with no death, no pain, and no suffering. When you're hurting, if you, know, if, if you, if you have chronic pain, if you have migraines, if you have 
these chronic discomforts. Okay, yeah, obviously take your medicine. It's a good gift from God. But set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus had nails driven through his hands. He had nails driven through his feet. So that one day, you can live in a world where there are no more pinched nerves. There's no more migraines. There's no broken bones. There's no fractures. No dementia. When you're feeling anxious, when you feel your heart starting to beat fast, when you think about that experience or you know that something's coming up or you're going to see so-and-so and you, and, and you, oh, am I going to have a panic attack? What's, what's going to happen? Remember that Jesus, the night before he was crucified, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had a full-blown panic attack, praying to his father, pleading with his father, saying, God, please don't make me do this. But he said, too, not my will, but your will be done. He had a full-blown panic attack in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was so brutal that he literally started sweating blood so that one day you can live in a world where there's complete peace, complete security, where there's no more fear, and there's no more serotonin imbalances. And this doesn't take stuff away, does it? You know, this doesn't, you don't snap your fingers, oh, well, I thought about this and now I, I don't hurt anymore, I don't feel disappointed anymore. It doesn't just make it go away right away. But what this does is it gives us joy on our way home, right? It gives us joy on the way home. It might be, it might be hour three of a 14-hour really uncomfortable flight, but it's not going to last forever, and we'll get to be with our Father soon. And as we do this, again, it doesn't take away our pain, but it allows us to say along with Peter in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, he says, though you, do not, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And it will allow you to say along with, with Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, to say, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen or transient, for the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, and I pray for my brothers and sisters here, and I pray for myself. God, as we go through disappointment, as we go through pain, as we go through difficulty of whatever kind. And God, you, you know, um, maybe nobody else knows the depth of what we're feeling, what we're going through, but we know that you know. God, I pray that you would give us comfort. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would empower us 
to look away from the medical journals, to look away from the internet, to look away from the doctors, and to look to you, and to put our hope fully in the grace that's going to be given to us when we arrive home in the new Jerusalem. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.